It is time once again for the State of the Union of the Knights of the Slice. Every year I like to do a little bit of a recap and kind of touch base. Look at how the business has been doing, uh, where we have room for improvement, what that looks like for the following year. And uh, if anything, I'm doing this because it's very illuminating for me to, to kind of look at the actual numbers um, and to just basically do a profit and loss statement and and see if I'm insane. <laughs> is, is, the, is the juice worth the squeeze? This kind of preoccupation I have with making toys and selling toys and the obsession, uh, does it actually make me money and is it sustainable? Is it something I can continue to do? Um, so these are sort of the questions that I have in my mind as I, I set upon this yearly uh, sort of number crunching. And I think that uh, this year we have some surprising results going on. Um, so I'm going to do a deep dive and, and really dig into the dollars and cents here. Um, in many respects, I'm going to sort of round up or not say whole amounts because running a business does involve proprietary information. And as transparent as I am, I still do reserve the right to uh, keep proprietary stuff secret. And there's any number of reasons why you don't necessarily want, uh, you know, a completely transparent uh, breakdown of where your money is and where it goes and things like that. But at the end of the day, I think you're going to have much more of a look than you get from any other toy company easily. And uh, also a lot of really compelling information that kind of points us in certain directions towards certain truths with this uh, this project. Now, I'm not going to do the usual preamble and cut to a musical interlude. We're going to get right to it because there's so much to cover today, including some questions from the uh, Patreon. Um, first and foremost, the biggest thing that became apparent to me uh, in looking... And apologies to the barking dog in the background. Uh, Bo cannot be separated from this mother for more than five minutes. And she's off to the market. I'm stuck here with him in the workshop. So there's going to be a little squeaking in the background. My apologies. Um, the, the biggest, most compelling piece of evidence I went through when I, I compiled these numbers and I looked and compared the past couple years is that... Boy, that's going to drive me crazy. I don't know if you guys can hear that on mic, but that high-pitched yelping, uh, it, it, it drives me insane. The most compelling piece of evidence that I came upon is that Patreon takes about... $3,000 to $4,000 in platform fees from me every year. So to have a transaction on Patreon, you are paying out between, let's say, 3 and 4% to Patreon itself, and then you have your payment processing fees, which are another 3 to 6%, depending on the amount of money it costs. Uh, by comparison, a transaction on Shopify, who is my e-commerce engine, uh, will run me about 3 to 6% total. So there's no sort of addition that has to happen. So what I did was I added up all of my platform fees from Shopify and all of my platform fees from Patreon. And I compared them. And basically I'm paying three to $4,000 extra to Patreon for the privilege of using their platform, which credit where credit's due, I love Patreon. It has changed my life for the better. But 
I need Patreon to be basically a functional word processing platform, and it is barely that. And for all the headache that you and I have gone through, dear listener, with re-enrollments and paying for a full year and all the troubleshooting that's necessary, coupled with the fact that their analytics suck, it is really, really hard to get a clear answer from their backend data about when people have enrolled, when they have not enrolled, when their access to Patreon cuts off. Uh, there is a lot to be desired on that back end. And so all this is leading me to what I think is probably going to happen for 2025. And that is that I'm not going to allow people to purchase $30 or $50 subscriptions through Patreon. Those will be store purchases. Now, this is more than a year in the future. Anybody who has a $30 or $50 tier now will be grandfathered in. There will still obviously be some level of transactions happening on the Patreon platform, but it is very clear to me that I can simply, as we have done before, charge people $5 to be a patron, give them access to the secret store, and then give them access to annual subscriptions or monthly subscriptions, if there are extra, through toypizza.com rather than through Patreon. Um, I do not have a compelling reason why I should pay out three to $4,000 a year for these larger transactions to happen on the Patreon platform when I find that their services are lacking in several key areas, including analytics, which has led to so many issues and so many errors and so many shipping mishaps that it is, uh, it's unconscionable, honestly. So what I'm leaning towards right now is 2024, we will conduct in the same fashion. Um, I will probably not allow, I will probably sort of shut off the $30 and $50 tiers on Patreon. Now, if you're already enrolled or you're a monthly or you're an annual, you don't have to worry. This isn't going to change anything for you. Not at all. Uh, it will be business as usual. If there are new patrons that come along and want to pay monthly or want to enroll annually, I will probably point them to the store where there will be a SKU where they can sort of, uh, you know, essentially enroll as a $30 or a $50 member, assuming there are slots open, which I don't think there's going to be very many slots open moving into 2024. In come 2025, likely I will not have those tiers available anymore through Patreon, but rather if we continue the club for another year, which is also another big question mark, uh, you will simply do a single transaction on Shopify, which already has your payment information. It'll lock everything in place. It shouldn't be uh, that big of a deal. In fact, it'll probably be easier. Um, you will still have to be a patron at the $5 level. So obviously the, the easiest thing would be, you know, you're a $5 patron and uh, you get a $5 credit towards that store purchase or it's it's $5 cheaper, whatever the case may be, so that we can kind of keep, hopefully preserved as long as possible, the $30 and, and uh, $50 price points. I'm really fighting tooth and nail to not increase the price of these figures, even though my margins have really been going up and down. And, you know, I, I don't know how many more years I can justify it, but I want to keep it at a $30 price point for as long as humanly possible. So all that to say is 
you know, not, none of this is final, but this is kind of where my head's at. I mean, $4,000 that I could keep for myself, that is half a tool of a new accessory or a figure. And I just don't see the point in giving that money away to a platform when the basic functions of the platform are severely lacking and there does not seem to be any impetus to kind of fix things. I don't know how many of you have your own Patreons, but just the simple word processing feature of adding a photo here or highlighting a text, it is extremely difficult and dysfunctional and and like a very basic foundation of any platform. Um, Like posting on MySpace as a blog was so much easier with so many more bells and whistles 20 years ago uh, than Patreon's platform is currently. So that's sort of where I see these things going. Now, there may be there may be sort of conditions that change with the Patreon platform if it continues to worsen or things like that, where I have to expedite this plan or make drastic changes. But generally for the listener, I wouldn't be too concerned. It's probably not going to be anything that is disruptive or affects anything. Um, It's just me trying to kind of read the tea leaves and see where I need to jump before I'm pushed in certain respects. So, um, that's kind of what I'm, I'm thinking about and what I'm envisioning. I mean, you know, again, four grand, I can do a lot of good with a lot new, new product, new tooling, things like that, rather than just sort of hand that over to somebody. And I don't want to be sort of pejorative towards Patreon. Again, I owe them a great debt of gratitude, but I do think that there is an enshittening process that will happen to this platform if it hasn't already. And uh, I think it's going to be, you know, tough to sort of justify that big of a payout. Speaking of Patreon, and this is this is a good sort of lead into our kind of recapping the entire year. I did a poll for Action Figure of the Millennia Club 2023, a recap of all the figures that were offered as two packs every six weeks. And uh, I got some interesting results here. For those who are newer to the Patreon or do not remember what was shipped out this year, let's recap. January, February, I hit everybody really strong across the bow with Adam Boy and Ice Harvester. This was a sort of Franken slice between the Star Marshal and between the Diver. A homage and love letter to the Blue Bomber, who I love very much. Um, Generally, people fucking love this month. And I think it was a great way to start uh, the club. And it sort of said in a strong way, this year is unlike other years. I have my shit together. I know what I need to do. I have the schedule I want to have. We're not dealing with shortages in the same way we have in previous years. Here's what it's all about. Uh, I followed that up with the March-April club mailing, which was the Aqua Hack and the Cyan Ma. Now, these are much more muted in their sort of color palettes, although based on people's feedback in the comments, I asked people to point to the single figure they love the most. Many people really love Sayanma. Aqua Hack was a sort of very ambitious Frankenslice, utilizing parts from a ton of different figures. You got your diver torso, you have your bug wing uh, domed helmet, you have Synchroborg parts from Onel, and a sort of neck collar configuration that allowed uh, 
through friction for that domed helmet to stay on top of the diver torso. That was a, a happy accident that I discovered that those parts could be used that way. Luckily, Matt from O'Neill allowed me to run those pieces. And uh, it was a, a very sort of challenging build. Um, not surprisingly, I don't think a single person pointed to this as their favorite. Okay, so 9% of people like this figure set the best. I think that's about right. This one was a little sort of out there and a little challenging. Uh, the parts count was also crazy because not only did you get a complete Hackerman and a complete Sionma, but you also got the poncho set and animal heads. So you're getting a lot of shit here. And uh, I personally like the months that give you a lot of variety. If I were a consumer of this line, I would be more excited with all of the little extras that I got. And, and that is a theme that definitely sort of uh, flows through the, the uh, rest of the uh, months in the club. Next up was another two-pack that everybody points to as a pretty stellar one. If it's not their first pick, it's usually their second. This is the May and June Goss Armor in Ice Rat Orange and Ice Rat Classic Knight, including diver parts thrown in just for good measure. Again, another super dense package of figures. Um, this one was probably the single most expensive month. I think I blew through my budget on nearly every single one of them, to be honest with you. Um, but I, I can't help myself. I, I kind of just, I get obsessed with these ideas and I, I like to add value to what the people who are believing in this project are, are sort of going to get. So, um, this one was definitely a favorite of mine and a lot of fun. I like building with all the different parts. And I do like that sort of classic Ice Rat orange uh, on the classic night body. I think that that's just a very interesting color scheme. It's kind of similar to the very first Royal Knight, uh, but it's different enough that it kind of stands on its own in a way. Following that was July and August, which was one that I was most excited for. This is the Ashen Widow and the Ashen Turtle Lord. This uh, gave people a brand new Turtle Lord uh, that's a difficult name to say, by the by the way. Uh, it gave them the new torso and the turtle head and the turtle shell and the necklace. Um, this one was a lot of fun. I really liked Kenneth West's video from this month. And people also point to the, the sort of Rift Killer Ashen Widow as one of the their favorite sort of color schemes. Again, very muted color scheme. Not my sort of usual adventurous stuff. And uh, one that I think is really kind of fun. You know, there's also, there's a theme here. We have four female characters, which is uh, pretty unique for Action Figure of the Millennia Club. Following that, we had a, a club parcel that was put together really at the very last minute by the skin of my teeth. I did not receive the final pieces I needed for this order until a few days before it was to go out. This is Lady Ammo, sorry, uh, yeah, Lady Ammo, Lady Arsenal, Madam Ammo, aka Lady Arsenal, and Star Marshal Zero. Now, Star Marshal Zero has been talked about in the mythology for a very long time for those who have caught the little uh, hints that have been out there. This month also represents the very last armor set of the Star Marshal. There will still be Star Marshals, obviously, but 
This is the final set of the sort of Kitlau slash Knights of the Slice crossover. So uh, it is very special in that regard. Um, this one also featured a handmade wanted poster. I painted and uh, tea dyed and shot a bullet through each and every wanted poster. Shot a couple rounds, actually. Um, so everybody who got one got a truly unique piece of art. And this one I really love. I also... Um, now, granted, this was a pretty orange-heavy year, but I wanted to have something that felt a little seasonal, and I think that these are pretty great. Um, it was, however, in my opinion, outdone by November-December, our final club two-pack, which was the Zem and the Lieutenant Zorum, and this is a sort of Spice Fleet-themed uh, package. And also, this I, I think I would point to as the single best Kenneth West video because it does tie in the September and October figures into the main storyline and uh, also has a pretty big reveal that a few people have picked up on in the, you know, towards the end of that video. But um, November and December, I really stand by. I think it's a great sort of two-pack. It, again, was a very expensive one, but it was something I just had to do. So if we go to the poll numbers, you might be happy to learn that the, the most popular one by vote and by nearly double is January, February, Adam Boy and Iced Harvester. That makes me very, very happy because we have a release coming up soon that sort of uh, bookends that collection nicely. We started the year with Adam Boy. We're going to end the year with something that goes along with it. And... Uh, That'll be rolling out pretty soon, so patrons will get a, a first look at what that is uh, shortly. So, um, if we're breaking it down here, Adam Boy and Ice Harvester, the first most popular two-pack. Proto Goss and the Ice Rat Classic Knight, the second most popular, followed by Lady Arsenal and Star Marshal Zero. Uh, and then everything under that got very few uh, sort of votes. But overall, I think each of these is a winner. There are certainly months in previous uh, years that I would point to as failures on my part, whether it's through logistics or sourcing or whatever the case may be. I think every two-pack here, I stand by 100%. I'm very proud of this assortment of figures. If you look at them all lined up together, there's a beautiful contrast of color stories, different tones, new color schemes we've never seen before. There's a lot to love here, and, and I think if... 2024 is going to be anything. It's going to be close to this in terms of difference of sculpts, uh, the amount of time I have to plan these things out, um, the paint deco, the accessories. I think that in many regards, 2023 is the perfect year uh, of the club being fully actualized, of me having enough time and money to do what I want to do and getting things out uh, to all of you. So... If you were happy about this year, I think you're going to be even happier about next year. I have quite a bit planned out already. I have goods on the way to me. If you can believe it, it's December, but I'm going to start building and packing up uh, the February 2nd mailing. Um, and it's, uh, you know, again, I, I'm just extremely proud of this, and I'm happy that people were willing to sort of blindly turn over their money for me to uh, be able to make this happen for you. And I hope that everybody feels like their money was well spent here. And a big shout out goes to everybody that goes for the annual subscriptions. Those things help me so much 
and it's a big boon to uh, being able to plan out the rest of the year. So thank you for that. I'm very much looking forward to uh, 2024. I'm incredibly excited. I think people are going to be instantly surprised by this first two-pack. <laughs> um, I'm being a bit mischievous this year, uh, but I think you will appreciate it when you get your hands on it. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, now we get down to brass taxes and we're going to go over the year in review in a sort of financial aspect, right? How has the business grown or declined? Um, it is kind of hard to talk about 2023 without talking about really 2021, 2022, and 2023 because these are sort of three acts in a play. And I think that the numbers that I'm seeing reflect broadly what's happening with the economy, but also what's happening generally with people's vibes, right? The vibes are off. I don't think that's a controversial statement. Um, <laughs> you can't sort of be fighting two proxy wars, have a lack of health care and housing in the United States, and just have the entire federal apparatus unable to take any meaningful action in any respect to ease any point of misery. Um, when you have those conditions, you're going to have bad vibes. And I think that we are in an era of bad vibes. And uh, truly, the only thing that cuts through that, I, I've always felt, is community, right? It is the people you know. It is the people you spend time with. Now, we have a parasocial community with Knights of the Slice. It is not really a real-life relationship, but it is also a real-life relationship. And the community is a very soft space to land. It is a very helpful, positive place. I've seen many people be able to sell figures to pay bills. I've seen other people be able to grab figures at a cheap price to complete their collection. I've seen squires help one another with their personal creative projects. So generally, I think we have the antidote to the bad vibes, but the bad vibes are really quite prescient. Uh, prescient's not the right word. Really quite ubiquitous in uh, our day-to-day -day life right now. So let's talk about... 2021. This was a banner year. And it was not just a banner year for me. It was a banner year for most people running in e-commerce. It was a banner year for most Patreon creators that I know. Um, I was also part of the Ambassador program during this year, so I got to touch base with hundreds of other creators, see where they were at, what was going on. Um, this was our, our biggest year ever. And um, without sort of going through any proprietary stuff, I did about 4,353 orders. That does not include Action Figure of the Millennia mailings. So, you know, we're probably talking about 5,000 shipments, probably probably over 5,000 actually, now that I think about it. In any case, let's just stick with store orders. Over 4,000 store orders, uh, banner year, highest grossing year ever, etc., etc. Um, when we get to 2022, things dropped dramatically. This is last year. There was a 40% increase in my total sales. Uh, my amount of orders shipped was cut in half, uh, a little over 2,000 orders. And generally, it looked really fucking bad. And part of the reason was, in 2021, you had stimulus money going out to people. Sure, you had people that couldn't work, but largely, you were given something. 
for your misery. And that created this little pocket where people were at home. They had a little extra money. They had access to the internet. They could indulge in whatever they wanted to do. And a lot of people chose to indulge in e-commerce and specifically in my e-commerce. And there was a rising tide. Um, so that was wonderful, but it was not something I sort of counted on as a year after year phenomenon. What I did not expect was a dramatic 40% drop off in 2022. And that was crippling. It, it didn't put me out of business, but it really ground everything to a halt. All the big ambitious plans I had uh, stopped dead in their tracks. And I started to have to really reconcile with how much inventory I was taking on, how many new figures a year I was making, and how I was going to survive potentially more years where there was a dramatic drop. Flash forward to 2023, things are much better, but they are better in very odd ways. Um, a couple milestones also this year, which are important. We finally hit 11,000 Instagram followers. We'd been at a little over 10,000 Instagram followers for years. Um, there's a sort of algorithm within Instagram where once you reach a certain number of followers, they want you to start paying and buying ads. And so they throttle your exposure, your views, and your ability to be discovered by new uh, users organically unless you play the game and you start spending money, which I don't do, personally. So it took us quite a few years to exceed 11,000 Instagram followers, but it did happen, and I think that's a notable milestone for sure. Uh, also worth noting, Dostazapod surpassed 30,000 plays. Can you believe that? That is a lot of people listening to Dostazapod over and over again, and uh, I think that that is not an inconsequential number. I think we hit 20,000 plays the year prior, so within a single year there were 10,000 more plays. And uh, I think that's pretty great. I, I'm glad that people seem to find value in Distazapod. Um, but the, the real thing we want to know, what are the total sales, right? What does that look like? We had a 40% decrease in 2022. We are up 36%. So we have almost erased the gap of 2022. And now these numbers are as of December 10th. We still have quite a bit to go. I have that uh little Adam Boy adjacent drop that I mentioned that will be happening before the end of the year. So I think easily we will we will get up above the 40% decrease from 2022 and be back to what I consider to be sort of a, a normal year. Um, so I feel good about that. I was really unsure if things were sort of moving in a positive direction. It, it took me sitting down for a few hours with all these numbers and really looking at everything uh, to come to understand, you know, where we are. Uh, it is also worth noting, again, I talked about the platform fees for Patreon. It's, a, it's three to $4,000 a year. If I got to keep that three to $4,000 a year, at least some portion of it, um, that 36% easily becomes 40% and we're back to sort of you know, record banner year amount of sales. This is the most interesting factor here, though. So in 2021, 2,300 orders. 2022 drops dramatically to just over 2,000 orders. 2023, 2,000 
283 orders. Seems very bizarre, doesn't it? Uh, what this points to is that less people are shopping at toypizza.com, but they are spending more money. There are fewer orders, but I'm making more money. Uh, it, also, it is also worth noting, I have much higher profitability this year than any year prior. Part of that is me not ordering extra inventory. I order just what I need, and I do not, you know, I do not sort of keep things in store uh, longer than they need to be. The other thing that I've done with this business is every single figure I order has to have two release windows. So let's take an example here. Um, <laughs> I'm looking around the, the workshop here trying to find a good example. Um, okay, so we have the black Star Marshal that was used for Star Marshal Block, right? But that was also released previously as the uh, sort of... Oh God, I can't remember the name of the character, but a robot who wears clothes. It came with a trench coat and a cowboy hat, and it was part... Uh, the, what was it? The Gambler? I forget what the fuck I called him. But in any case, that figure has been released twice. It's done really well both times it was released. That is definitely how I have to play things moving forward. I have to assume there are two windows to release the entire inventory of both figures, and that there needs to be a dramatic addition to the character through accessories um, in order to justify this. So, uh, another good example, the Caliber Kit Golden Ninja Limbs. Those were released previously in the the uh, Copper Queen... God, I gotta write these names down. In the uh, sort of... I I'm drawing a complete blank here. <laughs> The, you know, the uh, Void Gear, thank you, Void Gear Queen multi-pack. That had the debut of the Golden Caliber Kit limbs, and then now with this Golden Ninja drop, we're seeing those limbs again. Two windows of release for every figure has to be planned. Now, some figures will sell out in their first window of release. They will not get a second window of release. But generally, in order to survive, I have to be thinking ahead how many different ways can I utilize this base figure body? Um, so, our orders are still cut in half from 2021, but making more money than ever before, keeping more profit, having better margins, taking on less inventory, these are all sort of ways that I've... Uh, these are sort of pivots that I've done in order to kind of survive what I foresee as being increasingly turbulent... Uh, times ahead. Now here's the, the fun part. I always like to talk about what the best-selling figure is of the year. And uh, I actually have two entries here. The, the best-selling item that we had sold a hell of a lot of units. I was surprised by this. I did not actually realize how many of these had flown out of the workshop. Uh, any guess? Anyone care to guess? Yell it out loud right now. I'm sure you're probably driving in your, your commute down the 10. Um, what do you think the best-selling item of 2023 was as of December 10th, 2023? That, the answer is the Jagged Age 14-pack booster card set. I sold a ton of those. I was so surprised to see this. I'm not necessarily cogent about what a Force card slicers is in the store, but it has a, a really dramatic footprint. It is a big portion of sales. 
And uh, I know that there are, you know, there's a small but dedicated uh, group of slicers out there. And I, I thank you guys. It's really, it's quite exceptional that this is the number one item. I was very surprised by that. And it's very encouraging. I have a lot of great card slicer stuff planned for next year. So, um, you know, stand by for that. The second best-selling item, which I think actually is our best-selling figure of the year, was the Rift Killer Aqua. And this one is another surprise. Uh, this year I really tried to have a lot more paint deco, a lot more complicated uh, tempo printing, um, you know, a lot more accessory packs, a lot more, spending more money on spray masks and things like that. And at the end of the day, the best-selling figure was one that had only one other color added on it, just the eye color. And uh, I think that that's incredibly illuminating, right? That That is a astounding fact, that our best-selling figure is one that has almost no paint whatsoever. I think it also speaks to that people generally love the Rift Killer. And, uh, you know, I have a really excellent Rift Killer that is coming out in Action Figure of the Millennia Club, so... If you're a Patreon member at those higher tiers, you're going to be very happy if you happen to be a Rift Killer fan. I, I could say this might be the best Rift Killer we've ever done in in some respects. So um, very much looking forward to that. But those are the top two selling items, and they sold a hell of a lot of units, way head and shoulders above what everything else in the store did. Um, anecdotally, like, again, I spent a lot of money on Deco and spent more money on spray masks than I have in previous years. And a lot of the figures that had a lot of deco kind of shit the bed for me. <laughs> now, again, every figure is planned to have two separate release windows. But some of the stuff I thought were was going to be no-brainer sellouts really underperformed. Um, the entire Goss Killer wave did really bad. Um, so the sort of Sentinel figure. I thought that was a no-brainer. thought everyone would love it. Sold pretty soft. The Psycho Driller, the first fully painted Verkill, which everybody was asking for a fully painted Verkill, and it was done in the classic Medic colorway, which everybody seems to love. That one shit the bed. Hardly anybody bought that, so he's off to his next recycling phase where he will make another appearance at some point in the future. Um... Commander Rolo, I thought was a, a really strong looking Hyper Knight with O'Neill armor that went on top of it. That one didn't do well. Um, you know, you can get into sort of ideas and philosophies about why things don't perform. Is it the time of the year it's released? Is it the, the time of month it's released? Do people have more money at the start of the month? You know, you could kind of like make those arguments. But I think generally... Uh, and apparently, due to this sort of sales report, people were more interested in figures that had less paint. So what does this all mean? This is a lot of numbers, right? Um, I think generally we are on a slow recovery arc. Um, but I don't think my customer base will ever be as robust as it was in 2021, not for the foreseeable future. Having, you know, doing half of the orders that I've done in that year, still, two years out, I think that's pretty compelling uh, evidence that the hobby is shrinking. Now, I'm basing that not on just sort of my stats, but also the other people I talk to that are in 
e-commerce and that sell toys and things like that. Uh, I think we are seeing a sharp contraction in this hobby. And I would point to uh, the fundraising things that we sort of look at. Now, my fundraising was very successful, but it was very small and very metered and measured. If we look at the giant man from HasLab, that barely eked across the finish line. If we look at the uh, Cobra Mothership, uh, I think that is still open for a few more hours, but has not funded and will likely not fund. Uh, I think we've also seen any number of very ambitious Kickstarters that have either not funded or funded under very mysterious circumstances where they get a, you know, forty to $50,000 bump in a single day despite not attracting but a handful of new uh, supporters. So I think we are seeing a, a really sharp contraction because I think there's just too much shit out there. There's too many HasLab streams. There's too many online announcements. There's too many Amazon pre-orders, too many fundraisers. And, you know, honestly, people are being squeezed in the dollar. Inflation is a real thing, even though we can talk about who decides that inflation happens. It's the corporations. It is not a naturally occurring phenomenon. Um, but I think generally we're looking at a sharp contraction. Now, that doesn't scare me. I started in this industry almost 25 years ago. And within the first year of me starting, all these companies that I love dearly went out of business or, uh, you know, restructured in a violent way. I think of like McFarlane firing most of their US-based staff, getting all their sculpting done overseas, moving into a single office, like all of that sharp, sharp contraction happened my first year in the toy industry. So this is nothing new to me, uh, but I do think it bears a, a certain truth. And that truth is that I'm here and I exist and I'm doing this because of the, the people that support me. And at looking at the revenue that's generated through the Patreon secret store, it is pretty compelling that people that support Knights of the Slice love Knights of the Slice. They are more likely to make three times the amount of purchases as a random customer. And they are generally pretty dedicated to everything that gets released. So again, kudos to you guys. We sort of get to keep doing this. I get to avoid going back into the job market uh, because you are buying stuff and because you're buying stuff from the Patreon secret store and because you're Patreon members. So that is the secret sauce we have here. Um, you know, I work about 80 hours a week, I would guess, in creating content, recording podcasts, doing little doodles, uh, whatever the case may be, just to serve it up to you guys. And this formula seems to be working. So thank you, and please stay the course by all means. Now, hopefully, uh, all that information does not come off as dour because I actually feel uh, pretty optimistic. And I guess that's a question that's coming up, so I'll get more into my personal feelings in a little bit. But uh, let's hop over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Stasio, and let's tackle some of these questions we got here. First up, Keith Joy. With just speculation to go on, the new Cray body seems like it's going to be a massive leap for Knights of the Slice in many ways, which obviously started with the amazing Goss. How do you foresee the Disman system changing Knights of the Slice and your future goals for the project as a whole? Um, 
This is a fair question. I think that the sheer cost of the Discman style figures and the amount of space that they take up, this is more space than a normal Knight of the Slice figure, and the amount of extended production time that they require because they're more complex uh, prevents me from really going too full hog into Discman figures only, right? The, the core of this business will still be our sort of Kenner Plus basic Knight of the Slice figures. Uh, I think also the price point is limiting for some people. Um, I've certainly seen that, you know, wherein any other figure people buy three and four of, you know, if they're really sort of army building, which we're going to talk about in a future question, um, to people just simply buying one of whatever cost there is, and that's it. There is not the same level of repeat customer because they are almost twice as expensive as uh, my normal figures. So I think that all those those factors are kind of working against Knights of Slice transitioning into a Discman-only style business. That's, that's not going to happen. Um, I think also what you're going to see is maybe one to two Goss a year, and after the initial release of Cray, probably just one to two Crays a year. Maybe some of their parts uh, make appearances in other places as Frankenslices, but they're very, very expensive, very time-consuming, very production-bandwidth-consuming figures, and it's not something I can do all the time. So they will, from this point on, be very special encounters. I think also I am looking forward to getting back to tooling more traditional figures. I have a, a short list of ones I'd like to tackle. Um, if things continue on, on an uptick, I think maybe I'll get to those sooner than later. But I also think the days of me tooling three to four new figures in a single calendar year, those are over, right? You're probably going to get one new figure a year and maybe some accessory sets or things like that. Um, but that is a reasonable sort of frequency. I, I think my, you know, in around 2020, 2021, I was going absolute balls to the wall, just tooling anything I could, spending every cent that came in in new tooling. And while that did a lot of good things for us and set us up with this huge library of characters we can run at any time, uh, it also zapped all open money that I had. And, um, you know, it's not something I'd, I don't think we can repeat unless we get to the stage where we've doubled the business that we have, uh, much like in 2021. But in any case, I think that's the foreseeable future, if that makes sense. Next up from Lance Tomimoto, one of the best squires of the slice, I think you'd all agree. How are you doing this year? Do you feel happy, fulfilled, and thriving? Uh, I'm definitely doing better this year than I was doing last year. Um, this has also been an extremely challenging year. But uh, generally, from where I sit, I feel good. I feel energized. I feel like Cray is going to be an amazing figure. Um... You know, I think part of this business and just the, the idea of surviving as an artist, living off their art, means that you weather the storm. Um, things go up and down all the time, and you really can't tie too much of your self-esteem or your well-being to how well your e-commerce is doing that particular week. I think it's a, it's a really, it can be a very unhealthy thing to do. So... I kind of just take solace in the fact that I get to create, and that's my job, and I have different avenues in which to create things, whether it's music or toys or comics, and um, I'm 
you know, more importantly, I have an audience. There are a handful of people who want to read what I do or listen to the songs I write. And I think that can kind of, people can toil their entire lives and never have an audience, never have people that, you know, have a emotional reaction to anything they make or do. And so uh, for those reasons, you know, I feel good. I feel fulfilled. I feel largely like I'm thriving. I, I would say the thriving thing is tough because to me, thriving is not a, a personal measure. I don't consider myself thriving if members of my family or friends I'm close with or just, you know, people in general are struggling. And I and it does feel like more and more that's the case. I may be doing well personally. I may be semi-comfortable financially. Um, but there are a lot of people in my orbit that that is not the case for. I have a lot of friends going through a lot of tough times. So, you know, I, I can only sort of measure the ability to thrive in how well a community is thriving or how well my sort of orbit of friends and family are thriving. And uh, that's a bit more challenging, to be honest. Next up from Jonathan Ortiz. As you re Ortiz, not Ortiz, although that would be a good name for a villain, I think. As you reflect on this year with regards to Z Star 7, what are the highlights and what goals do you have for the band next year? World tour, perhaps. Um, you know, Z Star 7 is just, it's a blissful experience. Um, I get to make music with two of my best friends, and, uh, you know, it is uh, what a joy it is to be comprehended. I, I think less people engage with or understand the music side of what I do, but the people that do engage and understand it it is really quite a joyous thing. So, um, because it is such a outlet for me and such a a wonderful place for me to vent and and heal and discover, I don't really like to set arbitrary goals or parameters around what that experience experiment or experience is. But I do think um, generally, Dan is working on a solo album. We are very anxious to collaborate on and put out into the world I think there is likely one to two additional albums for us next year um, we have more tracks than we know what to do with and we are sort of chomping at the bit to release another album uh, I think also I want to release a collection of solo songs uh, I've been capitulating on that for almost a year I have a, a full playlist of stuff that I want to put out there but um have not done so i think i will try to get around to doing that uh and then you know i think we play live at least once a month um you know i do the sort of solo club draw set which i love and i will continue to do and then i think it's good to to uh, play as a band at least once a month live as well so you know we're just having fun we're just we're uh dudes rocking and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not illegal. And um, I think in many respects, 2024 will kind of be leading up to Toy PizzaCon 2024, where we will have, you know, hopefully we will play to our fans once again. A lot of these shows, we're just playing to the people that are stuck there watching our sets or our, our rides or our close friends. We don't really attract an audience. Um, but that's not what it's about so toy pizza gone is is a really interesting time of year for us because we actually do have fans that come to see the band and um you know uh that's kind of a unique sort of thing for us 
So, you know, I think in many regards, I can already, I'm already visualizing what that concert's going to be like, and I, I think it's going to be pretty great. Next question from Zed Star Bren. What exactly is an army builder? I imagine it's like a stormtrooper, which can be fun to buy multiples for setups. What makes Naval Deep or any other characters an army builder? Uh, yeah, you kind of hit it, the nail on the head. I think the first time that there was a sort of intentional marketing of army builder, I would have to point to Attack of the Clones. That, to me, feels like the first time that a toy company kind of understood that people had this compulsion to uh, bulk buy whatever the the sort of grunts were of the IP. Um, Stormtrooper is a great, a great uh, you know, version of this, but I think also, like, Lucas is very smart and obviously had years and years of Hasbro and Kenner data, so he knew Attack of the Clones could be just this big exercise in army building, and their sort of offerings for the movie really enforced that. And ever since, um, you know, Hasbro has certainly taken the lead on giving us a lot of fucking clone troopers. <laughs> Not a lot of other characters you want, but no shortage of clone troopers. So, yeah, it's exactly that. It is a sort of semi-faceless, usually helmeted character that can be bought en masse. And for me, the Naval Deep is that because it is a, a sort of organized force, right? I see a, a, a ship that Cray is on being overtaken by dozens and dozens of Naval Deep. And, uh, you know, that's where the sort of idea and necessity, I think, gets gets kind of executed within the world of Sea of Daggers. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty much a, as you sort of described here. Okay, wrapping up our Patreon questions, before we head over to the Top Secret Discord, we got newer patron, Chuck Waterman. Welcome, Chuck. How does it work sharing figures and parts amongst other Glios creators, such as the glow-in-the-dark Goss at O'Neill recently, uh, when there are random other Glios parts in your figures? Thank you. Well, uh, you know, basically because everything is manufactured at the same factory and it's all done under the sort of production management of Matt Dowdy, it's incredibly easy to sort of uh, cross-pollinate amongst the different Glios lines. Um, this largely can exist because these are all Matt Dowdy's projects at the end of the day. You know, he is the inventor of the Glio system and of O'Neill. So that's why you see uh, this great sort of collaboration and spirit that happens within the Glio system. In terms of the exact process, um, I believe everybody asks for permission from the other creators when they're going to utilize something. I, I know I certainly do. Um, and, you know, generally, uh, the brotherhood of the Glios makers, I think we get along relatively well. I think, you know, we all have the same kind of goal and the same mission here. So it is kind of a, a incredibly unique sort of little pocket of the toy collecting community. And uh, I think sometimes that gets taken for granted. We don't really think about how special that is, that there are, you know, over 15 different lines that... You can pop the arms and legs off of and, and you know, create your own Franken-slices. That's a pretty significant thing. Now, as I've said before, and I, I've been pretty honest about this, um, I am not as sort of easy to work with in terms of 
cross-pollinating my parts into Goliath's toy lines for the simple reason that it has to make narrative sense, right? Like there has to be an interesting reason or an interesting storyline or something that pushes my storyline forward in order to kind of rationalize that within my mind. And I fully recognize that that is not, you know, the, uh, the sort of easiest spirit in which to work with. But it is super important for me because this is all one big story that I'm telling. And, uh, you know, it just has to sort of, the pieces have to align for the bigger sort of thing that I'm saying with the projects of Knights of the Slice. And, and I know that is kind of an unnecessary bar to meet for other makers, but it is super important to me. And I think, you know, if I have any sort of hesitation or any, you know, if I'm a bit tougher in what projects I decide to collaborate on, it's because of that. Because I think the story is the key, most important part here. And everything, every other decision, every release has to sort of service that. Next question on the Patreon, Matthew Connolly. What was an aha moment when building the variety of parts from the 13th plus styles of Knight of the Slice figures or other Glios parts? Um, you know, I think there's been some great ones. I think that the Qs, who are sort of the evil offspring of Saima, that was a completely accidental build that I just fell in love with. And I was like, this is amazing. I, I got to make this a real figure. Um, I think also the 13th figure of last year, Reese, who is the sort of lost uh, Knight of the Slice character. Um, that's another great example. That I was just sort of, you know, tinkering around the workshop and I was like, oh man, what if I could do, if I could put this part with this part with this part, that would be pretty cool. And sure enough, it really uh, spoke to that character in a big way. So that was a, a really fun one. The original version of Vaughn, we got the sort of Frankenslice, the proper original Frankenslice. That was a, you know, a completely unplanned build that I kind of came up with, and it just really, it sort of worked in a big way. But I think the ultimate one is probably one that's coming up very soon, and that's going to be in the uh, first parcel of Action Figure of the Millennia Club for 2024. Um, now, in this past week, We've had a ton of brand new patrons join us. We've had uh, quite a few free patrons, which are always great, and welcome to all of you. But we've also had quite a few $5 ones, and a couple people swooped in and swiped a uh, rare open slot at the $30 level. So welcome to all those people. And uh, if you don't know already, Action Figure of the Millennia Club is continuing on for 2024, possibly the last year We'll have it going, but uh, if you were lucky enough to grab a $30 slot, of which some may be opening up between December and January, um, you will be getting in on the first parcel, which is going to be pretty goddamn amazing, and it will feature what I think to date is my favorite Frankenslice of all time. So I'll leave it at that. Hopefully you'll be joining us there. Also to the new patrons at the $5 and up level, you now have access to our Discord. A Discord is a, just kind of like an old school messaging board, but it is top secret and uh, you should have gotten a link with an invite when you signed up for Patreon. If you didn't, just drop me a line. I will get you set up on the Discord. You want to be involved in that. This is the sort of deep forest community where great things happen. 
Uh, and I'm going to head there right now. We're going to ask a couple questions that we got. One from the Robot Assassin. Did you ever go to any big stadium slash theater slash civic center shows when you were a kid? Um, the only ones I have any memory of, I, I don't think we did this very often, but um, we went to a monster truck performance. I wouldn't say it was a rally. It was, I think, Bigfoot, but probably just like a, you know, cheap Kirkland Farms version of Bigfoot. Uh, it crushed like four or five cars, and that was it. That was the entire <laughs> showcase. Um, and I remember all of us looking at each other being like, is that, is that it? That's what we paid to get into? That sucks. Uh, and then I have a vivid memory of going to Ringling Brothers uh, Circus when the unicorn was unveiled. Now, the unicorn was just a goat, uh, probably through really terrible means uh, that it had its horns sort of intertwined together. And it was toted as a the only living unicorn in the world. This was right around the time that the last unicorn was really popular. So we had to go see the fucking unicorn. And, uh, yeah, we went to Ringling Brothers, uh, and, um, I remember liking it, but, you know, I was pretty young at the time. So I, I think that's really all that we did in terms of those big stadium shows. I, I never went to, like, a proper monster truck rally. I think that probably would have been pretty cool for me, you know, at five years old or so. Never went to Jurassic Park or, um, you know, any of those big live stage shows. So, uh, I don't have a huge frame of reference there. Next up on our Discord from Verde, we got a question here. You share a lot about your process as far as business acumen goes and the economic decisions made when putting out a product. Going into the new year, what would you like us collectors slash consumers to take from that? For example, the last micro run and the beasts of the Mesozoic set sat around a little bit. Would you prefer your customers to understand that affects your approach since you dwell into this stuff pretty thoroughly on your podcast? Or would you rather have it be full of undeterred obliviousness and enthusiasm and ask uh and that customers ask me to put out more micros and dinos uh how much of what you are saying would you like us to grasp at the end of the day uh and is the hobby more enjoyable not to pay attention to anything that you're saying uh this is a good question so like how tainted by knowledge do i want my customer to be <laughs> um you know, I, I, I think, obviously, we're on the same wavelength here because I touched base on a lot of this stuff at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, so hopefully that sort of satisfies a lot of uh, Eric's question here. But this is, a, this is a good question. Like, how much, how woke do I want my audience be to the sort of economic realities of toy making, right? Because at a certain point, it does take away from the enjoyment of the hobby. So I guess I prefer people to be curious about the economics, but not necessarily, like, be adherence to it, if that makes sense. Like, I prefer a more educated client base, but I don't want people to be so obsessed that they're, like, pocket-watching what I do and what I spend on, or hyper-focusing on numbers and stats and things like that, unless that's deeply, deeply meaningful for you. Um, you know, I, I generally, like, I'm happy for people to enjoy this hobby in a very superficial way. Um, there is probably only a small portion of the audience that actually find 
everything in this, the first half of this podcast interesting, I kind of say it more to hear it myself and to kind of crystallize my ideas about, you know, the economics of it all. So I'm perfectly happy for people to be oblivious and just kind of come in and buy stuff and enjoy it and not think too deeper about it. That's fine. If everybody has that experience, that's, that's okay by my standards. If there's anything above that that I can communicate, I would say it is that small businesses and independent creators like myself, we really are barely skating by, right? And that might seem a bit weird to say, but even with my business being as strong as it is, you know, I'm one catastrophe away from not being able to do this anymore. You know, I'm one car crash away, I'm one medical incident away, I'm one, you know, one additional flooding in a single calendar year away from it not being a feasible thing for me to do anymore. So I I would, not to bum people out, but I would encourage people, if you happen to appreciate the independent creations that are out there that people are doing, whether it's podcasts or toy making or comics, make sure you support these people. And I know that's kind of preaching to the choir when it comes to my audience, but, you know, every single sale that I make, I see it, I pack it, uh, in most cases I know who it's going to, and it fills me with a very warm feeling. Every single item you buy at Target or Walmart, that's not happening. There's no direct relationship there between the toy designer, you know, filed away in a Hasbro filing cabinet likely laid off after this week, uh, and the end consumer that's picking it off a shelf and buying it. That direct relationship doesn't exist, but it does exist here. And it does exist when you go to Erwin Papa's web store and you buy a zine from him. When you go to Alexis Zirit's website and you nab something of his. When you go to Carolina Cool Cats and you get his new mermaid samurai figure. Like, you are changing somebody's day for the better when you buy something from a independent maker. And so the only thing I would hope to sort of inspire or educate people on is how big of a deal that really is and how much your 30 bucks, 40 bucks, whatever it is, uh, really makes a, a huge impact and makes people's dreams feasible. So, you know, don't take that lightly. That is a, a real service that likely everybody listening to this podcast is doing. And, uh, you know, I I think that's really the only thing above the superficial enjoyment of the hobby that I want to stick with people. Whether or not, you know, my cash flow is as much in 2023 as it was in 2022, or what my, you know, margin rate on every single sale, all that, you know, maybe it's fun to get into the weeds on, but it's all, it doesn't matter. It's all vapors. It's all going to be you know, dust at a certain point. So those are the two things I would focus on. You know, enjoy the hobby, like what you're doing, have some superficial fun, and then also know that every purchase to somebody my size is a really big fucking deal. And and I and everybody else making these things really appreciate it. While I did not get to everybody's questions this week, I will roll those over to the next Distazapod Q&A. Uh, thank you very much for everything. We've already gone over an hour, so I'm going to call it here. 
But to play us out today is this scrappy new band called Zed Star 7 with one of their newest songs called Cyber Dog. Enjoy. Thank you. 